We are in Gospel Matthew, chapter 21. And so our, uh, our series, it's called Blind Faith, and the um, reason we called it that is over the course of a few chapters, um, specifically it's when Jesus enters Jerusalem, this is the, holy, the, the, the um, Passion Week, this is the week that Jesus is going to be crucified over these few chapters. And throughout the course of that week, we see Jesus pointing out over and over where the people saw one thing, but they didn't see things the way he saw it. That they, they had faith of a sort, but it was a blind faith. It was a faith that wasn't seeing what God had intended. And so near as we can tell, at this point, it's, it's Tuesday. By Friday, Jesus will be crucified. By Sunday, he'll be resurrected. And so when he first entered Jerusalem, we had the, the triumphal entry, right? And he enters Jerusalem as the king. And they don't really see him for who he really is, but he entered as a king. And then he entered the temple. We saw Pastor Chris talk about this over the last couple of weeks. And he cleansed the temple. He entered basically as a priest. And then he, he retreats for a little while. Now he's come back to town, and he's going to enter as a prophet because he's going to begin teaching a series of authoritative messages for Israel. He's going to speak as one with authority. And some people really have a problem with authority. I'm one of those people. I, I know that I, I have this rebellious nature in me. I, you know, I'm a rebel without a cause or without a clue sometimes. Some of us have more of a problem with authority than others, right? Like, like I'll, I'll confess, one of the things I love to do is I love to watch YouTube videos of people getting put in their place. You know what I'm talking about? When somebody really just owns the other person in an argument or, you know, I, I just, I can't help it. It's like the little devil inside of me. I'm like, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have said that. But I, I love that kind of stuff. And, and one of the best ways to get me to do something is to tell me I can't do it, Right? So I, I know that about myself. Now, now there are some long-standing uh, structures of authority in our society that have be become weakened a little bit, right? Teachers don't get the uh, respect that they deserve. Police are more often than not viewed as, as enemies, right, rather than as heroes. Uh, I would venture to say most of us don't have the respect for politicians and presidents today that our, maybe our grandparents had, right? Now, I, it's also fair to say that some of those structures being weakened, those, those uh, positions of authority not being viewed as favorably, they kind of have been kind of brought upon themselves, right? There have been people who have made some terrible decisions and mistakes to where now we're, we're distrustful of them. So all that's, that's fair, but... Whatever your view on authority is, we probably all agree that some authority is necessary. Right? Like if, you're, if a child is running toward the road, and you say stop, that's necessary. They need to stop without having a discussion of why. Right? That's why the Bible teaches that if you don't discipline your children, that you actually hate them. 
not spoil, spare the rod, spoil the child. It's if you spare the rod, you hate your child because you're setting them up for, for failure and ultimately for death, right? So that's, that's a necessary thing without having to have a, a big discussion of why. Just stop because what? Because I said so. It's the thing we all hated to hear as a child, and if you're a parent, you've probably said it, right? And even as, I remember the first time those words came out of my mouth, it was like slow motion, and I thought, oh, no. I'm him now, right? We all hate that, but, uh, you know, I, sometimes with my kids, I feel like, uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie Matilda, but I feel like the dad in Matilda when she keeps asking him why, and he finally says, because I'm big, you're little, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Sometimes that's, that's where we end up. So nobody, nobody likes to have their authority questioned, right? If I say it, I expect you to do it. Uh, I'm in charge, and I want you to know it. And the problem is when my authority is challenged, m- for most of us, the way we respond to that is, First, we get louder, and then we get hostile, right? And at that point, it doesn't matter even if the other person is right. You ever done that? Just tried to flex your authority, and later you realize they were actually right, but in the moment, I, I cared more about them knowing I'm in charge. And so, you know, that's one of the dangers that we can fall into with authority, and it, 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 you know, the old saying, though, is this. If you have to tell people that you're in authority, you're not. Right? If you have to tell people you're in charge, you're not. If you have to get louder to get your way, you're kind of lost. You kind of lost the argument. You kind of lost the situation. So that's part of what we're going to see play out today between Jesus and uh, the Jewish leaders is they're used to being in charge. They're used to being the voice of authority. And now people are starting to listen to and follow uh, Jesus and respond to Jesus, and they feel threatened by it. And we're going to see how all that plays out. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand it, and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to study your word today. We thank you that you preserved it for us through the centuries, that when we look into it, we see that um, whatever our weaknesses, our failings, our frailties— They're not so different uh, from what people were going through and experiencing then. And we thank you, more importantly, that you have not changed at all since then. Well, we pray that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our spirits today to receive your word, that we would be changed by it, we would be humbled by it, we would be transformed into someone closer to you. Lord, whatever sin... Uh, we have in our lives, whatever ways we've chosen to be our own authority and live by pride and blocked out the voice of truth, Lord, we, we just ask that you forgive that, cleanse us, and make us ready to receive your word today. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 21, uh, verse 23, says, When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching... The leading priests and elders came up to, or that word, it could be confronted, right? They they don't just approach Jesus, they're confronting Jesus. They came up to him, and they demanded, 
Now, keep in mind, this is Jesus. This is God in his temple, right, teaching. And they confront him. I would be ticked if one of you tried to confront me right now. And I, I'm, I'm a far cry from Jesus, okay? But Jesus, uh, he's teaching in his temple, and they confront him. And they, they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? right? Who do you think you are? Now, they, they, they use the specific word. They said, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, there's two words in the Bible, really. For, there's more, but there's two primarily that are used in the New Testament for authority. The first one would be dunamis. And this is raw power. This is intrinsic power. Right? This is the Incredible Hulk as dunamis. Right? Like, you wouldn't challenge the Hulk. Like, who do you think you are? No, I, I see who you are, right? You'd back off. That's raw power. I, I can do it because I can just overpower you. I'm big, you're little. And then there's exousia. Now, this is derived authority. This is like moral authority. This is basically someone with dunamis gives you exousia, right? So... Uh, this is the, the type of authority that Paul talks about in Romans 13 when he, he talks about us uh, submitting to the governing authorities, right? So to, put, to clarify these, right? So a, po- a policeman can pull your car over. He can say, stop in the name of the law, right? I have exousia. I have this derived authority of the law. A policeman cannot physically just step in front of your car and stop it with his power and might. He can try that one time. And so, so we tend to question exousia, right, De- derived authority. We don't like to hear, because I said so. Well, who are you to say so, right? And that's not changed throughout the history of mankind. In the Old Testament, there, in Judges, Judges chronicles this, this period of history when Israel is without a king. And there's this expression that pops up over and over throughout the book of Judges. It says, in those days Israel had no king. This is Judges 21-25, but like I said, you can find it elsewhere. In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Right? They, they were their own authority. You know, you're not the boss of me, is basically what they were saying. And so Jesus, he has exousia, but he also has dunamis, right? He has raw power. He could literally, when these people confront him, he could literally just go like that, and they blink out of existence. But his earthly ministry was operated in exousia. He was... He had a mission given to him by the Father. And he tells us this multiple splat, uh, places, but in John 17, he's, he's praying to the Father. They call this the high priestly prayer. This was Jesus' prayer for the church after his departure. But he says this in John 17, verse 1. He says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. 
For you have given him authority over everyone. Right? You have raw power and you have given moral authority to the Son over everyone. He gives uh, eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way you have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So these are the rules that you've set up for this mission that you've given me. So all that being said, they're questioning Jesus' authority. And we tend to, you know, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees, uh, the, the Jewish elders, they were most of the time in the wrong in the, in the Gospels. But there are times where we, we just assume they're always wrong. But they actually were kind of right to do this. They were right to at least ask the question. Right, in Matthew 23, Jesus says that these people, these men, sit in the seat of Moses. In other words, they are the official interpreters of the law. And so they should be asking questions. If someone arrives on the scene and starts saying things you don't understand, you should question it. You should seek clarification. And Jesus had said a lot of things that really challenged these people. I've heard people say that, you know, that Jesus never actually claimed to be God, and they're, they're mistaken. He, he claimed it over and over. And he claimed a lot of things that would have should have caused some questions for these people. In John 9, Jesus said he had authority to forgive sins. Only God has that authority. He claimed that he and the Father were one in John 10. He healed some people and then allowed them to worship him. Right? No one should be allowed to be worshipped but God. He, and then the really weird one is he claimed that if people ate his flesh and drank his blood, that they would have everlasting life. That's the kind of stuff that if you are an authority in your community and someone comes in and says, hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you should go, uh, question. Right? Could you clarify? So, uh, you know, we, we look at this and, and kind of look down our nose at them right away, but they're right to ask these questions. C.S. Lewis, this is a pretty famous quote, you may have heard it before, but when people talk about, well, you know, Jesus was just a good teacher, uh, he never claimed to be God, or, or whatever, C.S. Lewis says you can't, you can't have it that way. It has to be clarified. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, right? We can't just say, oh, he was a good teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And basically what C.S. Lewis goes on to say is Jesus is either 
a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Right? We have to ask these questions and determine who he really is. If he says all these things, that he can forgive sins and, and uh, he's worthy of being worshipped and he and the Father are one, either he's lying about it, he's out of his mind, or it's true. Now, now Jesus, he doesn't flex on these guys, right? They come up, they confront him, they start asking him questions, and he doesn't get all angry or anything. He, he, he knows that these people, in particular, remember, these are basically attorneys, like spiritual attorneys. And he knows that they value rationale and reasoning. And so he uses a thing called myutics. This is, uh, this is a technique that a good leader, someone who uses authority well, uses. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the Socratic method, right? It's basically, I'm not going to just answer your question. I'm going to ask you a series of questions to help you get there. Right, you answer a question with a question. That, that's what a good leader does. You don't just always give your kids the answer to everything. You, you help them find it. And so, Matthew 21, verse 24, he says, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? Right, he's talking about John the Baptist. And he asks them a good question. Good questions require an affirmative or negative. They require a confession or a denial. He says, I'm not giving you a, a gray area thing here. Was John the Baptist for real or not? Because Isaiah prophesied about John the Baptist, saying, you know, he was the voice in the wilderness, crying out, uh, making straight the way of the Lord. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And these people had heard John the Baptist preach and teach, and they'd seen people baptized by him. If you're not familiar, uh, all the Gospels kind of start out telling us about this guy first. And he went out and he preached to the people of Jerusalem that, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. He's, he's, he's here. Uh, recognize your king. And, of course, they eventually kill him. And Jesus asked that if, is John the Baptist true or not. If he is, then what he said has to be true. Verse 25, it says, uh, they talked it over among themselves. They say, if we say it was from heaven, he'll ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed. This, this kills me. Because the people believe John was a prophet. Right? It's pretty, it's almost unanimous. Most people believe at the time John the Baptist was a prophet. And they're concerned about what people will think. Right? If we say it's true, then we're in trouble because we didn't do what he said. If we say it's not true, then everyone else will be mad at us. They're unwilling to commit. It makes me, it makes me wonder how many people go to church with the same mindset. Right, we don't really believe that the Bible's divine, that it's that it's true. But I go because my boss or my parents or my spouse or what, you know they believe it, and it's just easier to go along with it than it is to confront it and and deal with my questions and my doubts. I don't want to make waves. 
So they finally reply, though, in verse 27, it says, so they finally replied, we don't know. What do little kids do when they're caught, when they're in trouble? Who did it? I don't know. And then once you've determined, okay, you did it, why'd you do it? I don't know. Why did you hit your sister? I don't know. But they do know, right? They do know, but they don't want to say, I hit my sister because I don't like her. Because I'm mean. Because she took my toy and I want it back. Or, what, you know, they don't want to say that. So we say, I don't know. And so Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Because he sees in them what they don't see. Is th- it's not that they don't know. This is willful unbelief. Right? It's not about I don't know or I don't believe. It's I won't believe. I refuse this. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And uh, you may be familiar, maybe not, but they both... Uh, they both pass away, and, and we see what goes on in the afterlife. And, and uh, one is in torment, one is in paradise, and that sort of thing. And the one wants to come back and warn his family and, and friends that he had made a mistake. And in verse 31, it says, But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Right. In other words, if they won't take my word for it, there's nothing we can do. These people are going to reject Jesus even when he's there in the flesh and comes back from the dead. So what, what did I say earlier? When your authority is questioned, how do you respond to it normally? Right. You, you get louder and you get hostile. You lash out. And so even when you're confronted with the truth, you might do that. And so remember, it's Tuesday. By Friday, these people will murder Jesus. Matthew 21, verse 28. He says, but what do you think about this? Remember, Jesus is responding to their question with questions to help answer their initial question. What do you think about this? And so he he turns this conversation into a teaching moment, and he's going to begin, he's going to teach three parables. We're only going to cover one of them today. But he's going to teach three parables. And so verses 28 through 32, we get this parable of two sons, and it, and it teaches us something about rejecting the father. And then 33 through 46, we get another parable about uh, two farmers. And it teaches us something about rejecting the son. And then in chapter 22, the first 14 verses or so, you get these two wedding guests. And it teaches us something about rejecting the the prodding of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so through a series of questions, he's going to show them that, look, you're willfully denying the authority of the Father, willfully denying the Son, willfully denying the Holy Spirit. So he says, uh, what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy... Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. Now you notice, he doesn't say, Son, if you're not busy, would you mind? 
doing me a, a solid and going and working in the vineyard. No, this is, he kicked the door open, wake up, go to work, right? You like that move? So this is, this is an emphatic, right? Those of you with teenage sons know that you, you have to speak to them with emphatics. And, and so it's not an option. It's, son, go work in the vineyard now, today, because the harvest is now. We can't let it rot on the, on the vine. I'm not going to wait for you to sleep till noon and then play PlayStation till 4 and then get around to it when you get, you know, when you feel ready. Uh, I need this done now. Verse 29, the son answered, no, I won't go. And then the son was beaten within an inch of his life. Now, that's the, that's the Nate Mosley version of this gospel story. This is willful rebellion, right? This isn't, well, I'm not sure. No, I refuse. This is arrogance. And this is, like I said, this is about the point that I pull that son out of the bed physically and make him go to work, right? Uh, and I, you know, I apply the, the board of education to the seat of knowledge, you know? But this father isn't like me. This father's a much better father than the one speaking to you right now. He says, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Now you notice we don't see any action of the father here. He tells him what to do, and then he just moves on. He doesn't force it. He gives him an opportunity, and he just moves on. And we see that the son later changed his mind and went anyway. So he was a brat for a little while, and then after he changed his mind, um, in the original text it's really more like after much thought or after regret, right? So he, he, after a time, he realized, yeah, I should do this. I was wrong. Verse 30, then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Right, this is, this is the, this son gives lip service, right? You may remember a character from uh, Leave it to Beaver, Eddie Haskell. Remember, you know, this, this is the son, that, this is a kiss-up, is what we call him, right? He says the right things, but has no intention of following through. He makes promises, but doesn't deliver. So verse 31, it says, which of the two obeyed his father? And they replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes or harlots uh, will get into the kingdom of God before you do. So he says, look, people who have lived in willful rebellion but turn from it are in a better spot than people who just give me lip service and never deliver. Now the priests and Pharisees, they're not dumb. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll take a little peek forward. Matthew 21, verse 45 says, When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. Right? They, they realize what he's driving at. But verse 32, it says, For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live. But you didn't believe him. 
while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, right, even when it was right in front of your eyes, you saw people being changed by it. You saw, you saw proof in the pudding. You refused to believe him and repent of your sins. They, they refused to believe that it applied to them, that it was for them. So you, you saw all this and refused to be changed by it. And he says, you didn't repent of your sins. Now, this is a word that gets confusing for some people and has been misused and stuff in the church. But it, repent means a, a change of mind or a change of heart, change of direction. Right? It's, it's being changed. It's not just feeling bad about. A lot of times we, we think that's what it is. Feel bad about your sins and then be forgiven. It's just a change of mind, change of heart, or change of direction, or all three, depending on how it's used. And many, maybe most of us, are, are like this, the second son, right? We've seen things, we've heard the truth, but we refuse to change our mind, our heart, our direction. We refuse to be changed by it. I think a lot of people claim to be followers of Christ, but we never actually get around to the whole following Christ part. Jesus had a brother named James. And James saw Jesus grow up. James saw probably more truth of who Jesus was than anyone. And he was kind of like that first son. Where he said, no. No way I'm going to tell my big brother that he's God. Even though he beat me at every game of horse we ever played, not doing it, right? But eventually, he repented, right? He changed his mind. He, he realized that he really is. And he says this in James 1, verse 22. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Right? It's like getting up in the morning, you've got crazy bed head and like crease from your pillow across your face and, you know, eye boogers and stuff, and you go, good to go, and walk out of the house. Right? You're, not, you're refusing to be changed by the truth being presented right in front of you. Verse 25, he says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law, that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He says, don't, don't just look and listen and not be changed, not apply it. You know, the lowest form of understanding is memorization. People can memorize things and have no idea what it means. And for a lot of us, that's, that's kind of as deep as our, as our relationship with the Word of God goes, is we've memorized some things, you know, we start out, like your first memorization verse is Jesus wept, you know, and then maybe you move on to God's to love the world or whatever. And you've got these things memorized, but actually applying it to, to your life is a whole other exercise. 
So we don't want to just, just hear it and not be changed by it. But also, you know, we don't want to recognize his authority because it means that he's the authority, right? Because if I hear it and then go, okay, I'm going to be changed by it, I'm recognizing that he is actually the authority. I'm not. And that's the same trick, right, trying to avoid that truth. That's the same trick that Adam and Eve fell for in the garden. Remember, the serpent presented them with this option. He says, look, if you eat of this, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? You can decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. And we went, I like that. I want to be in charge. I want to be the authority in my life. Now, what does all that mean for us? What's the practical application of it? There's a couple things, I think, that, you know, no matter how much authority you've been entrusted with, the Bible teaches that you still are under authority. There's still someone over you. And so God's, it matters how you use whatever authority you have in your life. And the godly way of using authority, it's not about power. It's not about overpowering people. It's not about just getting your way. It's about service. Jesus came to serve, not be served. And so how you use whatever authority you have in your life matters, right? It, are people better off by how you've used whatever power you have in your life, right? At work, people that work under you, is their performance better? Do, is there, do they like coming there better because of your authority or not? Are your kids better off by how you've handled your power and authority or not? Because we'll be judged, held accountable for how we've used whatever authority we've been given. So that's, that's one thing. But secondly, our relationship with Jesus is not about our ability to answer questions on an exam, right? Because these people were the most knowledgeable people in the nation of Israel. They were the most knowledgeable people in the world about God's word. But they weren't being changed by it. So our relationship with him has nothing to do with what we've memorized, right, or, or, you know, where we fit on a census form. Because it's not about our profession of faith, it's about our possession of faith. Do you actually believe or not? Are you being changed by this or not? And the good news is that even if we've rebelled, and we have, like the first son, there, there's still an opportunity to turn it around. God's a much better father than I am. And he's patient and wishes for all to come to repentance, right? To be changed. Now, you notice a couple times in, when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he, he, taught, he mentioned prostitutes or harlots. And that's, an, again, one of those people groups that we can look at and go, well, I don't do that. But the Bible tells us that we are all that. We're all adulterers, that, we, that we've cheated on God. We've chased after idols rather than him. And so, no matter who you are, no matter how good at this Christian thing you are, you have hurt people. You've cheated on your God. You've misused authority. 
Aren't you so glad that you got to hear me point out all of these things to you today, right? I always preach the negative stuff so that when Chris comes back, he just seems that much better, you know? <laughs> but even if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we, you know these things are true, right? You've hurt people. You've made mistakes that you would rather not anyone ever know about. The good news is that his love is anchored his love is anchored in what you were made for and what you can still be, not what you've done. So it's not about the way that you look or the things you say or, or whether you re do whatever other people think you should be doing. It's whether you respond to his word or not. So you change your mind about who the authority is. Is Jesus a liar? Is he just a crazy lunatic? Or is he really Lord? Is he really the ultimate authority? If he is, then I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me, then the Bible says that you'll be born again, you're a new creation, forever alive in Christ. And how do I know that? Because he said so. Let's bow our heads. We'll pray for a moment. Jesus, we, uh, we just thank you that your love is so long-suffering, so patient with us. For those of us that have come to know you through faith, we've probably made a lot of professions that we didn't back up with action. We're still trying to hold the position of authority in our lives and, and not give you ultimate power over our marriage or our parenting, our job, or our finances. Or Lord, we're just, we repent of that. We pray that our hearts, our minds, and our actions would all be turned back to you. That we would follow you and you would make straight our ways. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus or that you'd like to, you could pray something like this. And it's not the words, but it's the intent. That Jesus, I want to be made new. I believe you died for me. I believe you when you say anyone who comes to you will not be cast away. So here I am, I bring you the broken pieces of my life. And I trade it in for a new life. Help, help me to follow you and thank you for saving me. Jesus, I thank you that I know that those words, that that message is still as true as it's ever been. And I thank you that I know today people are still turning their hearts and lives over to you. I pray that uh, you continue to bless us, to know you better. And thank you for saving us. Come and come quickly. In your name, amen. All right, y'all. Ready? Break.